All right, hey, so make your way to the book of 2 Peter. We're gonna begin a book today while Jeff's out of the pulpit. Hopefully this is the last one you see me, but we don't know that, so I've entitled the message today, uh, 2 Peter chapter one. <laughs> Shannon likes that, pretty catchy, I think. That way you guys can remember where we're at. <laughs> Second Peter chapter one. Hey, if you guys have spent any amount of time in the word, you can begin to understand very quickly how diverse and how different all of the people are and the characters in this amazing book. I mean, for the most part, they're just men and women like me and you are, and they live their lives just like we do today. And then God did something. You can pick your own chapter, your own verse, really doesn't matter. Stories of victory like David had, stories of deliverance like, you know, obviously Moses, and then, of course, the lessons of Job that we wanna stay out of, but sometimes we have to go through them. And after a while, we begin to align ourselves with certain personalities and certain practices of our favorite examples in the faith. And yes, I understand at this point, we should all be like Jesus, right? That's the goal. But it's very hard to, on a daily basis, copy the life of the perfect son of God, right? I need someone really <laughs> more like me, someone who's flawed, someone who makes mistakes, someone who can show me the life that I live and how they got through it. And without a doubt, that life of faith, that life of trying, that life of winning, and that life of losing, and that life of personal growth in Christ, without a doubt for me, is the great apostle Peter. Um, he seems to be just this normal everyday guy, and yet the Lord saw in him something that was valuable and useful in the kingdom. In the end, Peter became really one of the most influential teachers of his time. If you guys know his story, he was used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts there at the day of Pentecost, and he really is the reason that we're here today. He played a huge part in establishing the church there in Acts and the surrounding areas, and he's the reason that we're in these seats his personal knowledge of Christ had to have been amazing. I mean, obviously, walking alongside the Lord, you would pick up all kinds of things in those three short years. But what I like about him the most is the way that he's unafraid to act upon what he thought was right. And he had a willingness to be taught and redirected when, and that's a big word, when he was wrong. Because if you say the life of Peter, he was wrong a lot. He did a bunch of things completely backwards from what the Lord would have him do. But that never diminished him from his desire to grow closer to the person of Christ. And Peter's life is heavily documented in the New Testament, not because he was so great. He was such an outstanding theologian and understood the deep things of God that the Lord just had no choice really but to bring his best student forward and put him before the people. No, he was there because he was always there, around and available. It wasn't because this constant desire he had and the Lord was trying to foster that. Peter was just there, standing on the sidelines, you know, as we enter football season. Where's Adam at? He's already hit me in the head about the Chiefs. I can't take it another year, but I'm going to anyway. 
He was always there, helmet on, ready to go. And so the Lord used him in some amazing things. And I sure can relate to that in my own life. You know, this book was penned 65 to 67, 68 AD. Uh, Peter was most likely in prison at this point, soon to be martyred upside down as, the, you know, as he requested because he wasn't worthy. Just as the Lord told him, you can read that for yourself in John chapter 21. But with his death close at hand, Peter decides at this point to pen his second letter to the church there in Asia Minor to warn them of this common theme we find throughout the letters of these great men. False teaching is going to wreck the church. And the need that we have as believers to just keep pressing forward in the faith that God has called us to do. It would be the last letter he would write. And so it's a very important letter, and I'm sure God will encourage us today in it, just as he did the churches who read this letter all those years ago. And so we begin right there in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, he starts off just a little different than he did in his first epistle. First Peter, he starts off with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yet this time, he starts off Simon Peter, a bondservant, and then he claims his rightful place as an apostle. And that's a little detail, but it's kind of important. If you have a pen, you can write this down if you want to flip over there real quick in John chapter 1. We won't be there very long, but in verse 40, it says this. One of the two who heard John speak, followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said, man, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And from that moment on, really, Simon wouldn't be the same. I mean, you think about the things he got to do. He was there when the Lord served up that fish and bread. He was there at the wedding when he turned the water into wine. He was the one who jumped out of the boat and walked on that water, pulling in more fish than he could even imagine because of the Lord's direction in his life, not to mention the countless lessons that God taught him, the conversations he must have had as the Lord kind of meandered through the countryside with his disciples and I've become convinced over the years, and I hope you guys have too, that that road with other believers, that road with Christ is really the place to be. That path that we should be on with Christ, the daily ins and outs of this life, I think, is where God builds us the most, where he wants us to be. Yes, every now and then, he throws us a bone. We have some front row seats to an amazing thing. Something great happens, something that builds our joy and builds our faith. And we're lifted to new levels knowing that truly it's something has happened that God did all the work. But I love those moments. But man, it's those daily walks, right? Those daily insignificant little things, those talks that we get to have during the middle of what seems to be the most mundane parts of our life, and yet that's where God really does speak. John writes this in his gospel in John chapter 21, that there are so many other things that Jesus did if they were written one by one. He says, I suppose that even the world itself 
could not contain the books that would be written. I mean, you think about that. There's so many recorded things in the Gospels, a lot of duplicates, a lot of the same guys went through a lot of the same things, and they pinned different angles, and it's all great, but it's those, it's those invisible things, those unrecorded moments that I've become convinced that John and Peter, Matthew, Mark, all these guys were built. The Lord told Peter this, that now you're Simon, son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And Jesus right up front wants Peter to know, wants Simon to know how this thing is gonna translate. You know, Simon is actually translated in the original language. It kind of means shifting sand. But he says this, you shall be called Peter. And if you're a fan of Billy Freer, you know what that word shall means. It's not up for debate. It's not maybe. This is what's gonna happen in your life. Simon couldn't have understood that. I mean, who could, right? As he changed his name right there on the first day they met. It's kind of crazy. But just as the Lord taught him and he used him for kingdom business, he was becoming exactly what God had called him to do. Toward the end of the ministry of Christ is when we see this promise come to life. And that's in the book of Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am, the son of man? Who who am I? Which is odd, right? Because you think you'd wanna shore this up on the front side of your ministry. But he waits till the end of his ministry and says, hey, by the way, I know we've been walking for these three years. Who do you guys think I am? It's our old buddy. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. And he said, well, who do you say that I am, though? Not the populace. Who do you guys say that I am? And it's Peter. Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the Lord was like, nailed it. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father. In other words, all of these workings have culminated in his life, and the Spirit has done this great work. And he says, I also say that you are, here it comes, Peter. Now we've got this name change, and on this rock, on this, on this stone, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. Here we are. Just from Peter actually understanding who Christ is. No longer any doubts, all the things he went through. The truth of the matter is Peter had come to know personally that Jesus is the Christ. No more shifting sand. And that's important for us to understand. Now he's the solid rock. It's an amazing truth that we can rest in today. Paul writes in the book of Galatians in chapter four, and because you are sons, And daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer slave, but he changed the name to son. And if a son and heir of God through Christ, it's the same thing. Once we become aware of the fact of who Jesus is, knowing who he is, knowing what he's done, God changes your name from slave to son to daughter to heir, to family. That's an amazing thing. What an anchor there is in that promise. Now, Peter understands this better than anybody, and he reminds us this here in verse one of that root system that he has in Christ. He's just like you and I. 
He knows who he is. Peter knows where he's been. He knows what he's done. And most of all, he knows that he, like myself and you guys, has not been faithful at times, have not done the things that God has wanted us to do. But God has been faithful in the life of Peter. And that's good news for us today because God does not falter in his promises to his children. It was never about Peter. It's never going to be about myself. It's never going to be about you and I. It's always about God and his promises. That'd be a good place for an amen. No, that'd be like a real amen, not like, there you go. You know, like, hey, man, just get on with it. <laughs> Verse 2, grace and peace, he says, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And his, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, notice, through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You kind of get the feeling here that Peter is maybe in this reflective mood as he kind of pins this letter. I mean, the knowledge that he has of Christ, not in just, not in concept, not the big man upstairs, not those ridiculous things, or this casual acquaintance. Yeah, I know of him. No, but he knows him. He knows what he is about. He knows what Jesus would say. He knows how Jesus would say it, and he knows when Jesus would say it, and he learned all of this by making mistakes. And you know, as he looks back on his life in Christ, like we do hopefully from time to time, all the things he got to be a part of personally alongside Christ. And even after the Lord's death, as the Lord promised that spirit, and that was ushered in the book of Acts, Peter's on the rooftop just ripping off stuff, and people are going crazy. It's a great day. Man, those are some memories for him. He has no choice, though, at this point in his life, because he knows who he is, to lay that credit right where it belongs. And it's his divine power, he says, that has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness and underline that through the knowledge of him. That divine power imparted to you and I because of belief, simple belief, will be used in our lives as well, just like it was in the life of Peter and these guys, to be the miracles of God, to be the hands and feet of Christ and bring us peace through his divine power when things get crazy. That divine power allows you and I to take part in the divine nature of God. That's an interesting term, the divine nature of God that will allow us in our times, in our seasons, in our wins, in our losses, and all the things we'll go to, that divine nature allows us to reflect our God to this crazy world. And the divine nature of God is kind of summed up by the psalmist in Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious, which means we should be gracious. He's full of compassion, slow to anger, great 
in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. That's the nature of God that we should reflect, that divine nature. And that godly nature now in the life of Peter is a far cry from the same guy that grabbed the sword panicking and chopped off the ear of the Roman soldier. He's come a long way to standing at a fire and denying Christ three times to just a little schoolgirl to save his own skin. No longer crying out as his faith faltered as he walked on the water. But now he's in prison, seemingly the worst spot he could be, and yet now it's when he seems like he's content in what the Lord has for him to relay this peace. There's a peace in knowing Christ. There's a peace in knowing that we have escaped our sin. We have escaped that judgment in the hope of heaven, that divine nature that settles in and gives us that compassion and that grace and that patience and that mercy towards this world is what we need to reflect. But Peter says this as he goes on, it's for this reason. He says, giving all diligence Add to that faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Simon, walking with Christ, learning these things, becoming the rock that he feels God has called him to be is no accident. He says diligent, it was purposed by God. It's an anointing that can be seen throughout his entire life. Daily relationship is so important. It was important to Peter and Christ. It has to be important to you and I. And yes, that got the ball rolling, that belief, I believe I believe that God just didn't take over Peter's life like some kind of puppet and begin to run around even though Peter didn't want to. No, there's a responsibility that we have in the belief of Jesus to do the work. And I hope at this point we can understand by now, hopefully, that it's not about faith and works and trying to find, well, you say this and I say that. Listen, we understand that it's not about us. We can't add to the kingdom. We can't add to the salvation. We can't add to the saving work. That's over with. But we are not called to just sit and assume then if God wants it, then he can do the work. He has done the work. He wants us to do the work. We simply can't just sit around choosing to do nothing and expecting and hoping for all that God has. Peter reminds us here to stay diligent in our faith, to make every effort, every effort to grow in it and add to it all that God wants in our lives. And he knows firsthand the results of just sitting back and enjoying the win for too long. That day we first believed, what a great day it was, but we have to put in the work daily. Soon after, he was commended in that moment of knowing who Jesus was after all those years. 
Jesus begins to reveal to these guys the, the fullness of the plan of the cross to Peter and to the rest of the disciples. The cross is coming. He's trying to let them know, look, I'm gonna redeem this world through my death and through my resurrection. And Peter finally decides, you know what? Enough's enough. And he says there in Matthew chapter 16, and Peter took him aside. I mean, imagine this scene. The Lord's explaining the cross and your redemption and your salvation. And Peter's like, can I talk to you for a second? I just wanna pull you over here just a minute. And he began to rebuke him, capital H. I don't recommend it. Peter did it. Saying, hey, far be it from you, Lord. This, this isn't gonna happen. You guys know the rest of the story. The Lord's like, get, get, just get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Listen, that's quite the drop in rank <laughs> if you're keeping tabs. Blessed are you, Simon, pardon, Satan, you know, slapping him, getting him behind him. That'll ruin your weekend. I think we all felt, and I do sometimes, that just simple belief is the goal. It's enough. Hey, I mean, that's, that's it, right? We believe that's what the Bible says, you know, believe on the Son of God, you will be saved. That's pretty much the end of the road. And yes, there's truth in that that is finished. And please don't understand that you have to work to gain more. We work because we want what God wants for us. Jesus said to his disciples, if, if, if you want to come after me, then you have to deny yourself you have to take up your cross and follow me. Those are all actions that you have to do. You don't have to do them to be saved. You can sit. We're not to sit. If you want that growth, it's a daily trek. It starts with denying yourself, denying your sin nature, having a godly nature now. And the life that you want, throw that away, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. Peter would learn this lesson over and over again a few times in his life. John 13 shows us this picture of this sanctification, as we call it, being set apart to the daily things that God wants us, that daily cleansing that comes into our life. Once we believe, that doesn't mean we're finished. That means we've all made mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. And they had finished dinner the Lord grabs this basin and he girds himself up and he begins to wash the feet of the 12. Kind of in this showing them like, look, I'm not above you guys. I'm a servant. This is what we need. We need, we need to be clean. Everything's okay at this point until he comes to our old buddy again. He came to Simon Peter and Peter said, hey, Lord, you're, you're washing my feet. Like, no, we're not doing this. And the Lord's like, look, what I'm doing, you don't now, but you will know after this. And Peter's like, you're not gonna wash my feet. That's my kind of guy, right? He doesn't understand what's happening. And the Lord's like, look, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And so now Peter's super theological. And he says, well, hey, then not just my feet, man. Just dump the whole basin. Let's get this clean. The Lord's like, no, dummy. You just need to wash what's dirty. You need to get rid of what's dirty. Those things you picked up as you've traveled through this world, and you guys know what it is back then. They walked around in sandals and all that stuff, and their feet were always picking up stuff. And so washing the feet was kind of the lowliest job. And he's like, man, 
You just need to wash your feet. You're completely clean, he says, but, but not all of you. In other words, your feet have picked up some stuff. So much more in our daily sanctification, being set apart. I mean, we're as saved as we're ever going to get, but we're not, we're not totally clean, not all of us. We need to be clean, sanctified. Sometimes we make it to 10 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes we don't get out of bed without you know, slapping that alarm clock or, or just having a reaction. Listen, you're going to pick up stuff. You have to be sanctified. Paul writes this, but of him... You are in Christ Jesus who became for us this this progression, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What does that mean for us? That means you're, you're saved and you're sanctified and you're sealed for eternity. I'm channeling the ghost of Pastor Jeff there starting with the alliteration. He loves the alliteration, so I thought I would pay homage. It's a fancy word. Saved, sanctified, and sealed, but can I say not satisfied? With the, that was good, wasn't it? I got a ooh out of that one. You know, let's just wrap it up right there. It's probably going to peak. <laughs> I don't want to be satisfied with the same old, same old. That's like five or six S's in a row. As Paul would put it, who, by the way, his name got changed as well. He writes this in Romans, for you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. For what purpose? So that we can bear fruit, Paul says, to God. That's why we live the faith life. We live to bear that fruit, to continue in the life that God has called, continuing in those moments with Christ that will sow seeds and will reap those fruits of the Spirit. That's all Peter's writing. In other words, keep fighting the good fight of faith. And so Peter says this in verse 10, therefore, because of everything we just talked about, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you catching a theme that Peter's trying to put down here? Diligence. Diligence in our pursuit of new fruit and new growth. And diligent to know without a doubt that God has called you to this. And God is for us. It's our election into this family. All that God has for us found in a very, very practical way. And it's hard to not overlook this as we read the scriptures, but Peter drops a hint. James said the same thing. How do we gain all that God wants us to do? James says this in chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Peter says if you do these things, you will never stumble. But you can take those guys' word for it and discard it and go straight to the source. Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but what? You don't do the things which I say. He says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building his house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and it could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing 
is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. And I wonder at this point if Peter even heard what he was saying as he listened to this parable of the difference between shifting sand and the rock and the value that God has put in changing his name from Simon to Peter. You know, Peter wasn't the best of listeners if you study his life. He tended to overlook what was happening and try to get his point across. And that may have been the old way, but now you sense in Second Peter that those days are gone. By now, his calling and his election is crystal clear. Gone are the days of trying to do things his way. And yes, he once had a life of that shifting sand, that instability. Even though he believed and he followed Jesus, that foundation wasn't right yet. It grew stronger and stronger. It's the same. It's the same thing for myself. It's the same thing for you and I. If you would just stop doing the things that God has said not to do and do those things that you know God has called you out of and return to your time with Jesus, that that washing of the water of the word, that time in prayer, not just for food or for the daily things, but Lord, conversational prayer, driving, walking, anytime, day or night, just doing those things, doing those things will cultivate in you good fruit. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if we actually did those things? Peter's kind of a been there, done that kind of a guy. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And his heart for our church, the Acts church that is continuing through this work of God, can be clearly felt as he continues there in verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir up, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. God's faithful, we have that reminder. It's written before us. You can read it anytime you want. There's an old warning that we've passed around the church here for a number of years that the church is one generation away from closing its doors. One generation. And I've been in those churches where everyone's older. No offense. I don't know anything about that aging process. But we've all seen those churches where everyone's older. There's no, there's no children's ministry. There's no babies being born. That's all we've had is babies being born. It's like a plague around here and a curse. <laughs> so if you won't bring them in, God's just like, you know what? I'll just, I'll just go up through the bottom. You know, They're going to take over this thing, and I'm so proud of that. That Peter reminds us of this importance that we have is the old wise sages, and I say that lightly, knowing who I'm talking to, myself included, that we pass that grace on and that diligence and those reminders to the next generation. The Bible tells us to train them up in the way they should go, not drag them all the way through it and make them do stuff, but at least point them in the right direction. They can take it from there. And Calvary Chapel Joplin's always been on task to bring up that next gen of men and women who will take this thing over and run myself 
and run Pastor Jeff and run you guys out of a job. That's what we want to do. Teaching the truths that we have learned to the generation that needs to understand, hanging around those great men and women of the faith that have been around for years and years, gleaning into my own life and then passing that information on all the way back to the heart of Christ that was passed along to this amazing man. What a chain that we are a part of. Teaching them, as Peter puts it, to do those things, those things that bear fruit, that fruit of the Spirit that they all wrote about. You and I, we have to be cultivating that stuff, not bad fruit, but good fruit. Peter says this as a reminder. We didn't follow, he says there in verse 16, cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were what? Eyewitnesses because of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came down from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. It's funny here that Peter kind of references one of his biggest failures as he writes this letter to the church. It's in Matthew 17 when Jesus said he took Peter and James and John up and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. What an amazing day. And then guess who decides to ruin it? Peter said, it's good for us to be here, but... uh, we should make three tabernacles. I mean, if one tabernacle's good, then let's make three. One for you, of course, you're the Lord, and then one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. That's a pretty encouraging day for me because Peter doesn't know what to say, He's all freaked out by what's going on. I mean, he's seeing Moses and Elijah and the Lord all transfigured. And so he just decides to say the wrong thing. (laughs) I love how God just cuts him off. Like, you can't really do that in time when you're reading it. But Peter's like, you know, we should, but he's like, no, this. Oh, Peter has to take a step back. I'm sorry, I'm new. (laughs) You think you've had a bad day. Watch the Lord cut your, you know, your statement is so out of whack I'm just going to send this, this cloud down and just cut you off. You know, like Peter and John were like, oh, man, what a loser. <laughs> I would be. First he sinks in the water, and now, idiot. Anyway, the point is that Peter's like, man, I'm not making this stuff. I was there for it all. It wasn't this fabricated nonsense. It wasn't just something that we heard secondhand from somebody else and we're trying to relay the best thing we can do. Listen, he had been formed in the womb and transformed from Simon into the rock. And the whole church, our church, is gonna rest in this testimony, all from a guy who couldn't even stay awake to pray when the Lord asked him to. The hour of the cross is at hand. And the Lord's like, man, just stay with me. I'm gonna go pray. Would you guys pray? And he comes back and they're all sleeping, Peter included. How encouraging that is for us. 
And he says this in 19. So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's saying, yes, those days with Jesus were awesome. And I'm sure they were. But to watch and to see those prophecies of the Old Testament, those words penned by God's great men and women all come to life in the person of Jesus is the confirmation that you need. It's all the confirmation that you need. You know, there's 332, if you want to get super Bible nerdy, there's about 332 distinct and exact prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, where he was born, his life, his death, even his name, on and on and on. And if you're a math guy, and this may be familiar to some of you guys, and if it is, that's too bad because I'm saying it anyway. If you're a math guy, the probability, compound probability, that you could fulfill just eight of these prophecies out of the 332. Anybody know that number right off their hand? Who said no? Oh, okay, close enough. It's 10 to the 17th power. Yeah, which is 10 followed by 17 zeros, which is quite a, you know, the odds aren't there just to fulfill eight of the 332. It's the equivalent of dismantling a helicopter bolt by bolt, every nut, every bolt, every piece taken apart, taken in the air and dropped, and it would bounce and form a helicopter. That's the chances of just eight, and yet there's 332. And that's really not even the main thing that we should be focusing on. Peter writes that there's no prophecy of Scripture as a private interpretation. In other words, this isn't just for you. These prophecies came to life in the person of Christ for the world around us so that you can have a sure foundation knowing that this isn't by chance. It cannot be evolved. It's purposed and it's planned. And just like everyone before him and like everyone after him, Peter understands this and you understand it, that they're flawed. We are flawed human beings, but we're willing, hopefully, to speak the truths of God because God is faithful to speak through you if you would just do those things. And Peter knows, and we're not far from finished, that he is just a voice of God. He is a voice from God, and he's still using that voice through his word to teach us to reach the lost, and we do well to understand that today, the importance of those words, that God still wants his voice to be heard, and he's still choosing you, the most unfaithful batch of believers the world has ever seen. Just like Peter, yeah, amen. I can get behind that. Not get behind that, but you understand what I'm saying. The truth of the matter is the mantle of that word and those prophecies has been passed to you and I. And our voices have to, not if we have time or should, they have to point to Christ and that saving grace through his divine nature. And if you have any doubts about that, I just would refer you back to the instruction manual. It's so important that we understand God's heart, that we understand his word, that we understand the saving grace in his son, Jesus Christ, that we're never gonna make it without that grace, without 
those mercies. And yes, we're flawed, I get it, and we use that, well, I'll get myself right, and then I'll come to church. That's ridiculous. If, that, if you're thinking that, of course you're not, you're here. Hey, so if you're out there or wherever, if you're thinking that, that's ridiculous. I'll get myself fixed up, and then I'll go to the ER. Stupid. Go to the ER. In your worst state, they want you there to help. That's what God says. Listen, just, just, I love that song we sing. Just come to the altar. He says, man, those sins, I know what you're doing. I know where you've been. I want to wash you. I want to make you white as snow. Amen. Who's closing today? Karen? Awkward pause. And so listen, I encourage you not to take my word for it. I encourage you to seek out the Lord for yourself and just praise God that your name has been changed today if you're a believer. Praise God that he has done this amazing work and that we're to bear fruit, and that's all, that's all truth of the gospel. That's what it does in our lives. But listen, if you're here and you just know that you know Listen, I would encourage you not to pay attention to anything around you, but if you, if you feel that in your heart, like, man, God, if you're real, I just want to know. If you guys would just do me a favor and, and just bow your heads and, and, and pray this morning and, and thank God in this quiet time, you know, but if you're here and, and you need that saving grace of Christ just to, just to renew and restore, lift you up, those kind of things, then I can't make it any easier. You just have to, just acknowledge that. God, I'm a sinner, and I just, I just need something else. I need my name to be changed today. And so if that's you, and if you just do me a favor, the Lord knows your heart, but we'd sure like to pray with you, but we'd like to know who you are. And if you just want to raise your hand briefly, you can put it back down. But if that's you today, we want to give that opportunity to just come into the saving knowledge of Christ and the hope of heaven that's available to those who believe. And so if that's you Let's give you a short moment. Just lift your hand up and put it right back down. Anyone today? I see you. More importantly, God sees you. Anybody else? I see you. Amen, brother. So if that's you, you raised your hand, or if that's you and you, you know you should have raised your hand, listen, your, your, your time was not up. I'd just like to lead you in a prayer, and you can pray along. If you know you need Christ, just I encourage you to do that. And you just a simple prayer of God, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, but I ask you to forgive me of those sins, and, and Lord, just, just help me from this day forward to just walk with you daily and to learn what you have for me and to be all you've called me to be. And we lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.